0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the I'll Be Back podcast. This week, we are joined by a returning guest, Austin Cox, who is a uh, one of my favorite analysts for covering the American Conference. Uh, Austin, how are you doing today? Man, I am great, and let me thank you for having me back on
1: the program, man.
0: Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, with the season coming up again, and uh, I figured I would have you on one way or another. And then a couple of weeks ago when Texas and Oklahoma decided to uh, recreate the talks of conference realignment, I figured you would be a perfect guy to help me touch on that as well. Yeah, it's definitely been a fun ride the last couple of weeks. Um, so when I reached out to you originally and said, how is your summer going? Your, your first response was, well, vacation got cut a little short due to those two schools. But uh, I'm glad you're uh, back in the swing of things and uh, able to join us here today.
1: Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where uh, you like to get a little warmed up before you get back to work, but uh, sometimes you got to jump right into the pool and just let it shock you, and that's what (laughs) I I think Texas and Oklahoma has done to everybody this season.
0: Yeah, that was a little bit out of left field. Um, For those uh, who listen to our show, as you guys know, I usually have a beverage, and uh, we're recording this a little earlier on a Monday, but I'm going to crack open a white claw just to keep the tradition alive. I was up uh, a little later with a couple friends that I would like to admit last night, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> um, so let's let's start with the uh, the conference realignment. Um, so Texas Oklahoma make the big jump to the SEC. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And you know how do you think that's going to change the landscape again? I I felt like we were a little past it for a while, and is this going to be a thing now? You know, it,
1: it's felt like at least on the surface, it felt like it might have been you know, off for a while. Everybody was looking at that grant of rights that the Big 12 has uh, running through 2025. And it just made people feel a little safe. Of course, the ACC has its own grant of rights with a, I think, a $50 million buyout. And nobody's leaving the SEC. Nobody's leaving the Pac-12. So we all thought, hey, you know, things are calm right now. The, uh, The American is making its strides each season. It's trying to make that claim as being a power itself and proving itself each year. So, Everybody's feeling really calm, especially after 2016, when we thought everything died down with the Big 12 itself. And really, what happened was, and uh, people who were following it closely, or people who were following me, probably caught it. Uh, the situation in 2016: ESPN paid for the Big 12 not to expand, and that choice was made by two schools. No surprise, the two schools that are now headed to the SEC. And at the time, Iowa State, Baylor, and a couple other schools were somewhat vocal, but they really couldn't speak out because Bowlesby at the Big 12 commissioner, of course, as well as David Boren, who was running things at, behind the scenes from Oklahoma. And he basically said, look, this is the deal. You're going to take it. Everybody gets an extra $100,000 a season. We don't expand. We don't have to cut that pie anymore. And the money came from ESPN, Fox. It secured things. And really what it did, it allowed ESPN to lock down the American a couple years later with that 12-year contract for a billion dollars, which a billion dollars sounds great. 12 (laughs) years, not so much. But that's what that did. It secured the American. So ESPN was able to lock that up. Meanwhile, leaving the Big 12 vulnerable. And we see what happened. It was only a matter of time. It's just, I don't know why it had to happen during my vacation. (laughs)
0: Um, yeah and I I think you're right I mean based off of the readings I've got is yeah a couple years ago when they were like we don't want to expand and it it seemed like well there's probably a reason there we'll find out eventually and here we are uh, five years later
1: yeah it's it's one of those things where you know you you want to believe because I mean when it comes to sports we use it as a distraction I mean everybody outside of the business if you're not working on it day in and day out it's a it's an entertainment medium, and you don't want to follow this stuff. You just want to watch the games. You want to believe that uh, if your team does well, you know they'll they got a shot at we'll say a good bowl game. UCF has taught us that, you know, they don't always have a shot at the College ball Playoff, but you just want to focus on the sports. And unfortunately, these situations with college football realignment, and I call it college football realignment because this is not based on basketball. If it was based on basketball, Kansas would be in the Big Ten by now, but you know, look at a comfortable realignment. It's just, I, I hate to say it. I think it really is destroying this sport. I know people have been saying it for years when the big East was dissolved. Uh, well, the, the old form of it, yep. but it's, it's just really taking away. I mean, we miss things like uh, West Virginia and Pitt. It's, it's not, you know, the level of the game between Ohio state and Michigan, but it was a game that people in the regions, people, big East fans, people from the areas Uh, all the way in the, through the Northeast, they would watch that game. That was one of the first, you know, dominoes to fall. And since then, I mean, nobody wants to watch, I mean, people are going to watch Texas and Florida, but what's the rivalry? What's the the soul to that game? And that's what it feels like with realignment. I know I went on a tangent here, Sean. No, you're (laughs) fine. No, this is great. (laughs) It really feels like realignment is just taking the soul out of the game.
0: Yeah, no, I, um, as somebody who temple, I watched, you know, rise and they they were able to rejoin the Big East for that like one year. And then that's when it folded. So yeah, I mean, we we got affected by it. And then, you know, it was I always say the our conference was always the uh, people who got left out. It's like we're not the Catholic schools who are the best basketball only for the Big East, but we were just we just weren't quite good enough to get uh picked up anywhere else and it's that's why temple's conference is so tough because it's really hard for us to get a rival like we can't create that pit west virginia game with you know half the schools are midwest
1: yeah and looking at temple is such a unique uh fixture here in the american athletic conference and i always have a hard time uh, classifying the owls because you, you look at around this league and you're not going to be able to manufacture a rivalry with ecu love the Pirates, love what they've done, you know, they had some really good years, great stadium, great fan base, but you're not going to get people in Philadelphia amped for a road trip to Greenville to throw on scarves and go down and wave the, you know, the cherry and white, they're they're not going to be that excited for that, and you also, you don't get that same vibe with Temple and and Cincinnati, now they're big, big schools, but and they're both actually uh, both large research universities. A lot of people overlook that with all this realignment talk. When you look at the schools here in this conference, Temple and Cincinnati being large city schools, they're not like a Houston, you know, where it's a large city school. And, a, you know, I hate to say a commuter school. There mm-hmm. are people that are Temple, but Temple is, uh, it's on a different academic level in a few areas. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it, you know, and the students, they know that. The fans, they know that. And to have a rivalry, you have to have something in common with the rival. And that's the problem right now is, like you mentioned, having some leftovers or some, some people who didn't have the same uh, cohesiveness as the Catholic seven do with, uh, with what brings them together, basketball, religion, et cetera. You know, look at these schools. They don't have that, that connection, but maybe, honestly, look at the American. The, the only connection that they need is that chip on their shoulder. That they all have been left out because it's amazing to look at this league and the American, even though it's not my primary uh, conference to cover now, I'm moving on the CFP now, it still has such a place in my heart. I'm still going to love covering it along with the rest of the college football this season, but the American, it's that little, you know, uh, Mac from punch out the little guy who's just constantly knocking out the bigger guys. And I, I love going, I can't help it. I always go on these rants about, whenever I talk about the American Athletic Conference, I I end up in this thing about the underdog, but really it's just a great league for that. I just wish the schools had more in common. You know, uh, Look around the SEC, and this is a trivial thing, but you see that there's a, a tradition of end zones being checkered. Tennessee, and you still see it at Tulane, et cetera. Uh, but there has to be something in the American that brings these schools together to, to bring those rivalries because if this league's going to survive and have a soul, it needs those rivalries to grow, just like what we used to see in the big East with Pitt and West Virginia. It would be nice to see that in the AAC.
0: Yeah. And I, I absolutely agree. And well, I always uh, consider doing, you know, those road trips and for like, we played Penn state, you know, at Penn state a couple of times I've gone up there, but you know, that's Penn state territory and we're playing Rutgers at Rutgers this year which unfortunately that game got moved to a Thursday night. It was originally a Saturday and that would have been a fun trip. Um, But again, like those are the two probably closest schools and a rivalry we could create, but it's not a conference intertwined one. Um, And then, yeah, the rest of the schools, like, I mean, if you had to ask me, I would say just because since it's iteration, these have been just the schools that temple, I don't say rivals in like the fan bases hate each other. It's just more of a rival in like competitiveness. Like every year I know, UCF is somebody who might be ahead of us in the um, standings and Cincinnati is going to be somebody ahead of us in the standings. So I think that's how I almost just treat the rivalries for the conference. It's like, well, who do I know is probably going to be one, two, and three. And Temple's got to beat just because if we want to be number one in the conference, if that makes sense.
1: (laughs) Oh, There's also got to be a little bit of a rivalry with, uh, and I think Memphis fans have a rivalry with you guys. Just based on Joey Magnifico.
0: (laughs) probably they still uh, hate us for a couple couple of uh, games here and there <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah it's just been tough and yeah with, with Texas and Oklahoma and those two were big schools and I think and you can uh, agree with this if you think I'm I'm kind of leaning a, a certain way um, with the college playoffs I think Texas I mean they haven't really been good but Oklahoma I think I, I think they did it because of the college playoff and they're saying hey like if we really want to make that every year, we got to win the SEC. Like it just seemed like the big 12, the last couple of years wasn't getting recognition anymore. And that, that really preempted this move, I think.
1: Oh, it's been, you know, viewed that way for a long time in terms of the big 12 uh, being viewed as the weakest of the quote unquote powers. It was, and I've called it this since uh, the disillusion of the, uh, the old big East was happening in 2011, 2013. It, uh, He's called the Big 12, and a lot of people do this now. I don't know why. It's just now catching on, but it's Big East 2.0. It has been a target since the Big East was eradicated. And, you know, I'm sure you heard it, Sean. There's been rumors for uh, well over a decade now of the four power conferences. The whole point was to get four conferences, essentially make them divisions in a Mm -hmm. uh, super level. Now, that's all speculation, but it's, you know, been speculation for a long time, and we keep seeing it almost snowball in that direction with Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC for Texas, you know, part of it, it is, it's of course money. They're going to make more money there, but it's also prestige. Texas holds itself in a very high regard, regardless of its performance on the field, on basketball courts, anywhere. Somehow the Texas brand and a big part of this actually is through marketing. People just buy shirts that say Texas on them sometimes and they see that Longhorn logo and they think of the state they're not necessarily thinking of the Longhorns but they buy that that merchandise money goes to UT people see it etc as for Oklahoma I think that genuinely is a situation of they want to sharpen their sword throughout the season to make sure they are ready for stiffer competition come the playoff because you know as you noted the Big 12 being what it is, you're not going to be ready for Alabama when you play Kansas. You know, it's just a reality, and, <laughs> yeah, right? And and the amazing thing is that even though we all know that Oklahoma was continuously getting into the playoff and continuously getting outperformed, now all the people putting them in the playoff would sit there for the entire season and say. Uh, UCF doesn't belong in the playoff. Temple doesn't belong in the playoff. Cincinnati, Memphis, they don't belong in the playoff because they haven't played a tough schedule. And then they would sit there and vote Oklahoma in looking at its week schedule, looking at uh, examples in the past where I, I don't know if uh, Oklahoma got in that season or not when uh, Houston beat them. It's just, you got to ask yourself, you know, with these voters in the comfortable playoff, you know, what are they looking at uh, when it comes to these schedules? Because, if Oklahoma knows that it has to have a tougher schedule, how was it getting in before? And I don't know. It's another rant from me, Sean, this is what happens in the middle of summer. No,
0: you're good. And it is, <laughs> it's, it's funny. Cause you're saying that and you'd think, you know, Oklahoma knows this and would start doing their non-conference schedule with, you know, just do three sec schools for your non-conference schedule. And we know, uh, you know, non-conference schedules for those bigger teams is usually, I don't want to say a joke, but they have some tune-up games for lack of a better description. Um, and yeah, I mean, Oklahoma has just been, uh, I think you're, you put that pretty well. Like it, it's, they, they need that competition for the regular season to now, uh, you know, bolster the team up for, Hey, the playoffs are the playoffs. And we're going to play like the real deal.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, I, you know, I feel a little weird quoting uh, RG three, uh, Robert Griffin, third, but you know, no pressure, no diamonds. And that's just a, a reality, especially in this game because you can recruit the top level talent in Oklahoma is one of those blue blood destination schools always has been and will be because of its history and what it's willing to spend. You know, when they bring a recruit there and they walk them around the stadium in Norman, they have, I don't know how many statues of their Heisman winners outside that, that stadium. And then you walk them around, and so you're always going to get the, the five-star recruits. They're always going to have the players. But as you well know and Temple fans know, It's not always about what you recruit. It's about how you coach them up, and it's about the competition they play against and how they improve once they're on the roster. And, you know, Oklahoma State, uh, love the Cowboys. Kansas State, you know, they're great. Not what they were uh, under Bill Snyder, but just the reality is the Big 12 is not going to prepare anybody. I genuinely believe that the American Athletic Conference prepares teams better for the college football playoff than the the Big 12 does. By far, because if you ask anybody, look at top to bottom, you got to look at the American and say, it's a tougher league from top to bottom. There's a reason that you have five to six teams in contention for just to play in the conference championship game. You have five or six teams that really have a genuine shot. The top half of the league is constantly competitive. You see Tulsa knock off UCF two years in a row. It's just looking at the American Oklahoma would probably, Oklahoma would definitely, without a doubt, have a better shot at winning a college football playoff game if it played in the American. That, that, that's. I'll just end on that.
0: <laughs> um, so going, you know, further and you know, this Texas Oklahoma news is so recent, and there might not be any more dominoes to fall immediately. Um, but just, you know, if you had to take a wild guess, what direction the American Conference will go and where Temple kind of stands. On you know is is the American gonna you think kind of poach some more big 12 teams just seeing it collapse all like beginning to collapse or uh, is temple maybe kind of thinking what do we do next How, where do you think this all goes
1: man uh, if, if I'm temple I've got to be on the phone with everybody every second I have available because it's in a we'll say a precarious situation temple needs, the American to survive in this case, and it needs the American to be the aggressor going after the Big 12. Mm -hmm. There's a couple scenarios, and of course people uh, who've been following this have noticed that the Big 12 thought it was going to do a scheduling alliance with the Pac-12. And then the very next day it came out that the Pac-12, ACC, and Big 10 are all in discussions about a scheduling alliance. And that's of course in response to the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma. These other conferences are thinking, hey, we gotta get stronger the fact that they left the Big 12 out of those talks speaks volumes. When somebody says, we need to unite, get stronger, and make sure that we're set for the future, and they don't invite you to the table for that discussion, then you're not part of the talk, and they assume that you're just, you're going to be fodder for somebody else. Now, the best hope right now for Temple, for ECU, for, uh, and not to put them on the same plane, but this more of a Uh, geography situation is what's impacting Temple right now. What they've got to hope for is that West Virginia joins the ACC or that the Pac-12 grabs either Texas Tech and Oklahoma State or some combination uh, of two to basically get those dominoes falling and get the rest of the Big 12 realizing, hey, we've got to figure out what's going on. ESPN started Things they started the ball rolling. They've reached out to a couple schools now. Let's just say this is all speculation, we're going to say this is all speculation, sure. Yeah, but what would happen. ESPN reached out to a couple schools, one of them exactly 888 miles from West Virginia and Morgantown. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you guess who that is. And <laughs> once they talk to these schools, instead of saying, Okay, we'll take the offer, we'll join the AAC, the AAC and go under the ESPN banner, secure our future, and say, Don't worry about the Big 12. Instead, what they did is they went back to the table. They told the, other, the rest of the quote-unquote hateful eight that remain in the Big 12, along with Bob Bowlesby. That started the situation with Bob Bowlesby saying, look, ESPN's trying to interfere. It's going to cause issues. They're trying to destabilize the league. That was pretty much the end of the Big 12, I believe, because ESPN has uh, almost a formulaic approach when it does these things. It comes to the table, just did the exact same thing with the Big East, and says, here's what we're going to give you. And it was a, a billion-dollar deal back then, Sean. We're talking 2011. Yep. The same billion-dollar deal that the American now has, the Big East was offered for fewer years, and it would have, of course, remained a power. The Big East didn't take it. We know now that that was Syracuse, Pitt, and the Catholic Seven that basically decided that's not going to happen. But once they said no to that deal, ESPN, almost like they scorned Lover. I don't know how else to describe the way they respond to <laughs> these deals. They turn their back and they say, I'm going to dismantle and destroy that entity. That's just the way ESPN Disney operates. Yep. And that's exactly what happened with the Big 12. Now, when it happens, it just all depends on who the first one is to go. Is it going to be a long shot like Iowa State to the Big 10 with Kansas for basketball? I mean, if it's that or the the real problem is West Virginia's academics are really holding this deal up. And that's actually caused a situation in ACC where, of course, I'm sure everybody heard about the Clemson and Florida State that they were reaching out to the SEC. It's just it, – it's a lot
0: of freaking out right now, pretty much. It's funny that you mentioned Like, I think the day that the initial reports was ESPN is kind of helping the AAC in the scenario uh, and, you know, seeing what they can do to, like you said, just kind of come down hard on the Big 12. One of my buddies texted me, and he was like, "We got Disney on our side." (laughs) I was like, "Yeah, we do. Like, it's not a bad uh, person to have."
1: (laughs) No, Disney is a great ally until they don't need you. Unfortunately,
0: (laughs) yeah. Um, All right, so I think you've been on for almost 20 minutes now. I guess we should talk a little bit about Temple. Although all of that was relevant and really, really good, Um, and I I was very interested in your thoughts on that because I know you've been, you know, such a a major uh, power six. Guy and you know, loving the AAC the way you do. Um, when the conference realignment uh, I was just like, I gotta get him back on and at least get your opinion on that. So that was awesome. I love love talking that with you. But uh let's let's uh what what do you know so far about Temple and their upcoming season? Let's start with that.
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it's all I'm doing right now is I'm probably like every Temple fan, every diehard owl fan. I just wanna forget one and six. It didn't happen. And I want to try to hope that 2021, you know, gives Rod Carey his first bowl win. I mean, yeah. it is a little frustrating and I'm not trying to come down on Rod. It's a, it was a hire that I questioned, but of course it was, it was a very odd time with yeah. Temple. Uh, that, I think Temple made like five or $6 million out of the deal in those two weeks. Yep. But, you know, they, they ended up with a, a solid coach. And I'll say that Rod Carey is a very good coach and he surrounded himself with a, a great support staff there in Temple as well, but, uh, you know, I'm a little concerned. Uh, you, you can't help it. I, I mean, at least I can't help it. I always look at the bowl records on, on these coaches and it gives me that feeling of uh, a finisher, people who, who finish things. Yep. And, and again, I, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to go off. On it's he, He's a great coach and I, I really expect good things. And especially you guys got the uh, the quarterback, Dewan Mathis coming in out of Georgia. Yep. I mean, Having that kind of, and what a story. What a story Yeah, uh, with his health. Uh, I mean, that one, that, that's a guy that, and I'm sure uh, your listeners all have these kind of players who they might be on opposing teams, but you hear the story here, you know, of course having the, the cyst or tumor re- removed from his brain. You Here's a lot, you're like, you root for the guy. You don't care what uniform he's wearing. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, you see what he's going to do. He looks uh, extremely promising. Of course, uh, had some decent snaps at Georgia. And I think anytime you get that kind of pressure, those kind of real looks uh, in an sec situation, you're going to come in with some great experience. So I'm optimistic about him. Uh, and yeah, I just can't help. So I'm just, I'm, I just i am i do not I want a bowl win is what I want. I want yeah. a bowl. Win.
0: <laughs> I, I agree. It's funny. You mentioned that, you know, the two weeks that we had Manny Diaz and I think his buyout clause was like six mil, I think. So yeah, we got yeah. paid to have a guy as our coach for 14 days and then I think Rod carries, they upped it to 10 mil. They're like, we can't like allow this to happen again. <laughs> um, but I agree. And that was kind of when we hired him and I know it was, uh, you know, given those circumstances, a tough time to hire a, another coach. Cause you know, all the hot assistants pretty much had jobs at that point. So you, they, the route they went with, I don't disagree with, but that was one of the first things I looked at as well Is he, I think he was and five in bowl games coming to temple. And then we were eight and four the, his first year. And then we lost that bowl game as well. Um, so yeah, to get a bowl win for him, I I think he's a good guy. I think he is a solid coach. Um, but that is definitely something that has absolutely stood out for me. And yeah, last year, the, the one and six record overall, like, uh, it it was just a disaster and I know it was tough for the team and it was tough for everybody last year, but, uh, we just, unfortunately, uh, made it look even more difficult. Um, (laughs) But which, it's, a, it's a huge asterisk.
1: You got that huge asterisk for 2020 yeah. next year.
0: I think what everybody, not I don't want to say, freaked out about more so was um at the end of last year, as we saw about seven or eight really good players transfer out as well, and which last year was again I was an asterisk on the transfer transfer portal as well, just with the extra year of eligibility with COVID, and it was kind of that new. Like, you know, college football free agency, the closest thing you can get to it. Um, I think between the bad record and the, you know, already kind of questions about Rod Carey, I think people thought like, is he losing the locker room? Like what is happening?
1: Yeah. Well, the good thing, and I, I hate to say that it's a good thing, but you know, it's a situation that's been across the board in college football. I was just looking at uh, I was covering Texas techs getting ready for their stuff. And uh, you know, they, they lost Allen Bowman to Michigan. That was their starting quarterback for a couple seasons there in Lubbock. And of course, they had another quarterback come in. It's just, it has been a huge uh just musical chairs situation this past year for everybody. And I think it was just that situation of when the NCAA made the rule that, hey, look, everybody gets a pass this time, on top of you know, them initially saying everybody gets that one-time transfer that was kind of fine. They were like, Hey, look, it's 2020, everything's screwy, you know, uh, everybody can go ahead and transfer if they want. It's not gonna be panelized, they can red shirt, it's just. This year didn't even happen. Yeah. And in situation. great you saw a lot of players who, you know, they, they land at a school, and when you're getting recruited, uh, it's a whole other level than anything uh, that we used to see. These kids are they, – they're wined and dined when they go to a big city. Most of them, many of them, you know, they're not coming out of big cities themselves, and, you know, some might be coming from Florida or from uh, inner cities, but a lot of them come in, and they see these – huge stadiums, huge cities, they're wine and dined and they love that. I mean, what kid doesn't love attention? Adults love attention. <laughs> and, you know, and they're getting all that. And then they get on the roster and they red shirt and, you know, the fame and the buzz kind of dies down a little bit. And then maybe they're sitting there uh, a little deeper on the depth chart as the red shirt freshman year starts and they look around and unfortunately we have coaches that are calling players reaching out when they're not supposed to. It's completely against the rules. But we saw it a lot this past year. Yes. And you know, you get a kid who feels like, hey, I'm good. And if I get the shot, I could really show everybody that I'm the person everybody thought I was two years ago or whatever. And bam, they, they love that attention. And the recruiting starts all over again. And we're seeing that all throughout college football right now. So uh, just real quick on that one, Temple shouldn't be too frustrated about the transfers. That hit everybody this past year.
0: Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned the – I mean, tampering is kind of the only word that comes to mind. And uh, it's, it's funny because I'm a big basketball fan, and, uh, you know, free agency just happened. And it's, you know, midnight, 12.01, and it's like 18 people are signing million-dollar contracts, and they weren't supposed to talk to any teams prior to 12 o'clock midnight. And I'm like, well, how would you guys have all these financials figured out? by 1201. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but, and, and Temple saw it. I mean, uh, I'm speculating myself here, but we had three or four guys transfer to Rutgers and one of our top assistants happened to go to Rutgers a year and a half ago. So, you know, it. how often he kept in touch with certain players. I'm just thinking, and I'll leave it at that. Not only the NCAA calling me and asking yeah. me what I know, but um, <laughs> yeah, so they did, Benefit, as you mentioned, Mathis is a quarterback who transferred in, um, and I agree. Uh, he he got that uh, you know experience at Georgia. I think he looks the party six five, athletic. Um, so far, the reviews they actually I don't know if you knew this they went up to Brooklyn for the first part of their preseason. I think they came home, or they're on their way home today. Um, yeah. All the reports out of that is you know he's his athletic ability is he can extend plays, and I loved Anthony Russo more than most people did, but, you know, he wasn't the most athletic quarterback <laughs> back there. And uh I'm excited to see Mathis kind of hopefully excel in, you know, he's not going to be Mike Vick back there. I know that. But if he gets, you know, 45, 50 rushing yards a game and a, maybe a rushing touchdown, I'll, I'll live with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know Temple fans are eager for that kind of play. And it's been, I mean, gosh, it feels like so long since uh, the years of P.J. Walker, you know, dropping back and it, the, the play – just breaks down and then you see him run around it's I, I know temple fans miss that kind of play it's a lot of american athletic conference fans miss that kind of play I used to have uh the pj walkers the uh quinton flowers uh that unfortunately of course derek kings who are now mm-hmm. over there but those kind of players who could really extend the play I and mean, you can see that from mathis i mean they're in philadelphia that would be a great thing for temple football because i mean it just to have that kind of player to buy time and create something out of nothing, uh, they need that kind of, you know, playmaker. And They've had, and I would say Russo and some of the quarterbacks Temple's had in the past were, and this is, it's become a derogatory term, but it's not meant to be. Uh, they were really good game managers. You know, they were yeah. people that, who could handle the situation, but sometimes you don't need a game manager, you need a playmaker. And I'm—I my hope is that that's what the case is going to be with DeJuan for, uh, for Coach Rod Carey.
0: I think one thing that helps him is our receivers that are returning are pretty good. Uh, Randall Jones and Jaden Blue, both of them have shown a lot of promise in the past. And uh, I think that helps him, you know, I mean, to come into a new system and have two playmaking wide receivers. Um, Hopefully, you know, at this point, they've gotten some rhythm together as uh, new teammates. Um, What else are you looking for in, you know, Temple's offense and defense? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, it's as far
1: as the uh, the offense goes, you just want to have to, you know, I feel like Temple is one of those schools that was established on a run game. It, it's It had a very uh a Northeastern personality or persona when it came to that ground impound. It was, it was a lot like Pitt. I, I mean, I would look at those kind of schools and think of schools that were designed to have uh, larger offensive linemen and not be built for quickness, built to wear you down and that's what I would like to see that more with Temple. Unfortunately, it has, you know, the running back uh for there has been plagued with injuries for the yeah. last few years, but, you know, if they can stay healthy, it'd be nice to, of course, you know, give Mathis that option to, to have somebody there in the backfield to open up the playbook a little bit more. Uh, But, you know, my hope would be to see just, just more balance in the offense and that's going to become with, I hate to say it's got to rest heavily on Mathis to, to open things up and allow them to, you know, feel comfortable. In the last few years, I mean, you were swapping out quarterbacks. I felt like every other game.
0: Yeah. And when
1: you're doing that, you really, you don't get that comfort that, that continuity in offense. I mean, things as simple as snap counts can really, I mean, two different quarterbacks might come in and it can really change the vibe with your, with your line, with how it's, you know, you need that consistency. And hopefully with Mathis, he gives them that consistency and allows them to maybe open up that wrong game more this year.
0: Yeah. It's, it's funny. You mentioned the, the quarterback thing, and I, I'm sure he is a great person, a great human being. He was an, I think, okay, football player, but I will, Todd Centeno was the one quarterback we would rotate in with Russo and I never understood it. And to this day, it just, he like, it just still leaves a bad taste in my mouth because it's like Russo's never going to get the offense moving if you're taking him out, you know, every third drive for you know, a QB who I think Senteo ran like a four which was cool, but like I don't need that right now. So, uh, that just i, I no offense to Todd Senteo, I doubt he'll ever listen to my podcast, but um, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, the running back thing, I, I do agree that you know, especially with a you know, Dewan Mathis, hopefully, first couple games. Yeah, you can build that running game to kind of get him eased into it. Um, They do have a couple uh, running backs that I'm excited for. Iverson Clement, who was, you know, I know we've said, you know, the the star thing isn't always what you look at, but he was a four-star recruit at one point from Florida or from Jersey, but went to Florida. He just transferred in. So see, I'm interested to see how he can get into the offense and another transfer who he seems more like the ground and pound guy is uh, Rayvon Bonner. And he was from Illinois, I believe. Um, so the two of them also in the offense, I think they'll be, hopefully get them going early and yeah, create that running game. And
1: that would be, uh, it sounds like a great combo right there. And, you know, unfortunately I haven't got that much of an opportunity to to look at all the AAC teams this year. It's with my schedule being changed and covering everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. But look at that. It's uh, and we were just talking about that too. Of course the transfers coming in and it's going to be such a different look this season, but you know, you, if you just look at it, if it's a puzzle, Rod Carey has the pieces, he's just got to put them in the right place.
0: Yeah, and then on the defensive side, um, they got a, I don't want to say a lot more holes, I think, but they they had, that seemed like their defensive line was their strongest suit, and then about three of the four guys that were good all transferred out, um, so they're, they're going to have, I think they got a couple transfers in who can be contributors, um, but they might need some younger guys on the D line to contribute. Uh, their linebacking core is going to be, I think a little younger, but some of these guys got, you know, reps last year because of COVID. And, you know, it was guys who probably should have redshirted last year, ended up playing in some games because you had 30 guys out on protocol. <laughs> yes. Um, well, so it, te- it,
1: it, go good. ahead. You go. I was just going to say that, uh, you know, one thing is, you know, look at the schedule. You've got to figure, uh, everything right now, unfortunately, is speculation, which of course is some of the most fun parts of this whole business but you know looking at it we're not going to really find out much until that September 2nd game at Rutgers when I you know I think Temple's really gonna be tested and you're talking about that D line going up against and it is Rutgers but it is a Big Ten offensive line and that's going to be the you know the perfect I I think uh, benchmark to to really test them and find out where they're at and when where they're going ahead because you know you follow that up with a game against Akron and I'm not going to sit here and say that's a cakewalk because, you know, the Mac team, they always have a tendency to, you know, surprise some people here and there. But I mean, Rutgers, looking at that one. That's the one that I really want to see how that temple defensive line handles the offensive line. They were just, you know, uh, for like term, a bunch of corn fed guys. <laughs> there in the big um,
0: yeah. And I think people at temple have had that Rutgers game circled on their calendar for probably a little over a year now. And like, you know, Rutgers, uh, it's slowly becoming a little more reputable again, but I know they had some down years um, and they're, you know, it's still big 10, it's big 10 football. Uh, so hopefully we are up to the challenge uh, that first, uh, first week. Um, uh, I'm, I think, like I said earlier, uh, the transfers that went there, uh, and you know they have one of our ex coaches. Uh, there definitely will be a little bit of a rivalry amongst players and coaches i'm sure temple definitely wants to uh win for those reasons as well absolutely i mean
1: well you got there's so much stuff there you know as you mentioned the the fans having that game circled i mean not only do you got to look at that at one as uh you know the first opportunity to see them to see how the owls are playing but you know you mentioned those transfers and then just the, the big east history i mean no matter what there has to be some temple fans out there that are as uh, as petty as i am let's put it that way and think hey you guys shouldn't be in the Big Ten. We should be in the Big Ten, and I mean, look, you know, uh, I, what are they, Piscataway or whatever in New Jersey? Rutgers, beautiful campus, amazing history, but I just never look at Rutgers and think that's a football school that belonged in the Big Ten. That was a that was a good pick because they they didn't deliver the the New York City, uh, no. TV market or whatever they whatever the Big Ten was going for. I mean, I. I know that Temple was not going to be in the running uh, because of everything that happened with the Big East, the, the prioritizing, let's put it that way of, of academics in some situations, but you know, looking at Rutgers, if I'm a Temple fan, I just want to go beat Rutgers just to beat Rutgers. I, I, I don't even care if it's the first game of the season. If it was the last game of the season, I'm just looking at them and thinking you don't belong in the big 10. No more than we do it.
0: Yeah, I think yeah that is absolutely right. We'll, if we win, there'll be some bragging rights saying, Hey, that, that should have been our spot. And I I never understood completely why we weren't, I mean, you know, Philadelphia's market is huge. And I think uh, Penn state might've had a little bit to do with that. And, you know, around here is such Penn state country already. Um, I think temple's best bet at this point must just be, you know, either hoping the AAC uh, does expand, like we already talked about, or, you know, if the ACC happens to come calling and say, we want the Philadelphia market, might be the next thought in line. <laughs>
1: you know, it, it's, I'm sure there's some people that might say, okay, that's a little bit crazy. Temple's got a lot of work to do, but the reality is if you give Temple ACC money, I mean, they're gonna be on another level. It's just, you, if you combine what Temple already has, and you're talking uh, the Philadelphia TV market, which Temple may not own the Philadelphia TV market, especially when you're talking about basketball, you got the big five, there's a lot of competition there. And you mentioned Penn State, which of course, Penn State would never let Temple into the Big Ten, just like Ohio State will always block Cincinnati. It's You don't want that competition in your market for sales, et cetera. But, you know, looking at Temple, I mean, I think if they had ACC, if they had Big 12 money, uh, they would be able to compete easily. And, uh, man, I, who was it? Uh, Mark Narducci, buddy over there at in, uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. Yep, yep. Every time I'm talking to him, I'm like, I'm like, what's up with the stadium, Mark? And he's just like, Austin? We're never yeah. Stadium. Well, you know, you guys need a stadium. I mean, I I love the link, but, uh, you know, if you want to be in the ACC, for example, if we're we're going with that kind of hypothetical, you can't have uh, a Philadelphia Eagles logo in the middle of the field, you know, and uh, an eagle crawling after touchdowns. It's just you need that. one.
0: <laughs> That's in my head. Uh, you were saying if we had ACC money, my first thought was like, I'd probably get my stadium built if we got that money. So um, I'm a huge proponent of getting the stadium. I always joke, like if they you know, emailed me today, I'd sign the check by tomorrow. <laughs> you know, wouldn't be the biggest check they could get, but I would sign whatever they needed. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I, I same way. I, I'm You know, especially after last year, not being able to go to any games, I'm super excited to go to the link. Um, but yeah, you know, sitting that 70,000 stadium with 25,000, 30,000, it looks a little depressing. And uh, there's always rumors about it every couple years. And Temple just got a new uh, president, and now they're, I believe, in the process of getting a new athletic director. Um, Fran Dumphy has been filling in as interim and doing a, you know, good job. But I think the the next step is getting an athletic director, and hopefully, uh, somebody who's a little more progressive and pushes for that stadium, is what people like myself are hoping for
1: <laughs> It's just, it's one of those things where, I mean, that stadium, if you guys had an on-campus stadium and, and you put it around, I don't know, about 45,000, put it somewhere in the area of uh, a little bit between, uh, bigger than what uh, two lanes did with mm-hmm. theirs, um, then you got that optimum thing. And of course, people will be drawn to go to new, for starters, new stadiums pull people in. They always do. And because the people want to experience the newness of it. They want to be the ones to go to it during the first season. But on top of that, like, you know, as you mentioned, you go into a stadium and you see, you know, 35,000 empty seats. It's depressing. It, it, it bums you out. It, it, it sucks the excitement out of the game. You know, you want to hear the, the cheering and the roar. And when you get that bowl designed to for a smaller crowd, but still a packed one, it gets. I mean, look at Nippert Stadium. The Nippert Stadium is probably one of the loudest stadiums. It's, it's ranked in top five annually for its noise hostility of a of place to play at it's only got 45,000 seats in it it's not that big of a stadium but it, because of the size because of it being on campus it's accessible to the dorms the people can walk to it i mean it, unfortunately philadelphia i mean you know they don't have a stadium that was built in i think 1905 or whenever the heck Nippert was built you know you got to work around being in a large metropolis and you know, not only do you have to find the space to put the stadium, you have to get the people who live around that area. This is what, this is what Mark always harps
0: on me about. He's like, yeah,
1: we can't Austin, the people don't want it.
0: Yeah, it's the, the neighborhood is a, another obstacle as well. Yeah, that was a good if Mark if impression, Mark, though. I'll give you that. <laughs>
1: if Mark hears this, I'm sorry about the
0: impression. No. <laughs> um, but... No, and there, it, there's a lot of obstacles, but I am a huge, huge proponent of, yes, the stadium on campus, and it gets people to visit campus. Like, you know, if you're going to a game at the Link, you're not really ever stepping on Temple's campus. If you're alumni and it's like, hey, I graduated 20 years ago, I haven't seen Temple's campus since. Like, you know, I, I think drawing people back to campus is more beneficial
1: personally. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, that's a really good point. It's something that, uh, you know, I I always think about it from a recruiting standpoint, but if you look at it from that aspect, you have, you know, alumni coming back with their kids, and, you know, they take their kid to the the link, again, listening to the the sound of an eagle, and, you know, they're not taking them on the campus. You see that at Cincinnati, because Nippert Stadium's dead center next to the old administration building in, like, in the heart of campus. You, unfortunately, the parking sucks, but you, you have to walk through the middle of campus, seeing all the, the administration buildings, school buildings, different colleges, and that's an opportunity. If you got that in Philadelphia, you got those parents walking through with their kids, the kids are seeing the historic buildings, maybe they're seeing new ones. Uh, that would definitely not just benefit sports,
0: but benefit the university as a whole. You know, Sean, you got to be pitching this, man. You gotta tell the people. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I think administration's listening to people with more degrees than I have. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my mom does work there. I'll pitch it to her and see where she, you know, maybe it'll get to like one step above her position. And she's an alumni relation. So, you know, maybe, maybe it'll go a long way. I don't know. I got to start writing a draft of an email of all these ideas. <laughs> there you go.
1: Feasibility report coming soon.
0: Um, what, one more topic I did want to just get your opinion on. And again, this is kind of new, like the conference realignment Texas Oklahoma thing. So, if you don't have too much on it, that's okay. Um, what were your thoughts on the NIL? the name in it, in name, image likeness ruling um, and players essentially can now at least uh, get advertised, I guess is the best way to say it.
1: It is insane, Sean. There's no other way to put it right now because it is, uh, you know, when anything new, it's, it's hard to regulate it. There's a reason why medicine used to have cocaine in it because <laughs> when things start, you know, they're not very well regulated. And right now we're kind of seeing that with this name image likeness situation. And I, I, let me tell you, I'm for it. I think these kids need to be paid because they're making people a lot of money. And there's always that part of me that's like, well, I had to pay for my tuition, blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, I wasn't making the university tens of thousands of dollars and my appearances, go into different things. And, you know, these players, they do make a lot of appearances for the school, not just when they're playing and not just when they're working hard and practicing for the game. So, I mean, I want them to get uh, their due, so to speak. But what we're seeing right now is a crazy, crazy developments just across the nation. Look at BYU. Right now, yes. uh, you know, every school has a certain number of roster spots that they can have overall, and a certain number of scholarships they're allowed to to give to the players. This, of course, evens the playing field, allowing other schools to have the ability to recruit players. Or else, uh, Alabama would just have five. To, they would recruit everybody, just pay them, to sit there, and not play. Well, BYU now is able to pay all their walk-ons. Uh, tuition because they have thanks to the nil a we'll call a booster sponsor who is uh, able to sign nil deals with each of the walk-ons covering their entire tuition so basically byu has all scholarship players and no walk-ons now as a result of this and we see alabama players that are now making seven figures and they haven't even taken a snap in a real game it's It's just going to be a crazy situation. It's going to impact recruiting greatly because looking at the BYU example, if a coach knows, well, uh, I I don't have to worry about the limitations of scholarships because my walk-ons will be covered. I can make sure that I tell those players. And, you know, if I wanted this player to come here and uh, just have him waiting in the wings, well, I have booster X with who owns a company and he wants to give him $10,000 to be a spokesman for his car wash, which he, never has to actually do yeah. <laughs> we're just going to see it we're going to see it develop more and more it's i mean it always existed yeah you, you know you, yeah you're not a stranger to this sean you see i mean we all know the story of smu yep. we all know what happened to them in the 80s and all we're seeing now is just a little bit more transparency of the pro with the process and how it actually works
0: yeah and i mean i love all the espn 30 for 30s and the smu one's really good but even watching the ones on the Miami ones in the early the 90s and the early 2000s like those players pretty much just say like yeah like they're you know boosters are just like helping you out whenever you need it for those good Miami teams and it it does it's been going on but yeah to make it legal and you know it's more um, I was talking to somebody uh, Westchester football's head coach uh, Bill Zwan was a great guy to talk to just happened to uh, meet him at a family function and I got his opinion on it and uh, he, he basically said it, it's – no, not for his school per se, um, but the NCAA just kind of never really thought it would come to this. Like they, they they were fighting it for years, and then now it's a thing, and they were just like, all right, whatever. Like they, they had no regulations on it. They had no plan set in place. They just said, sure, do what you want, and that's how you get an Alabama player with a million dollars in his pocket, and he never played it down.
1: I mean, you, you would think with – the years that they've had. I mean, they were battling uh, the situation with NCAA uh, video games, and the name image, like of course, brought this all to a head back in 2013. You know, if you're looking at that, if you have just say eight years, we will assume that they were caught that they were blindsided in 2013 when the when the situations came to a head. Somehow they sat through two years of court hearings and just still came out of that completely baffled and clueless. That leaves them. With seven or eight years to to prepare for this. Now the court hearings with the, the UCLA basketball player that basically brought all NCAA games to an end. I know. Should have been it should have been a wake a, a wake up call of some sort for those people in Indianapolis. But all they've been doing is just cashing those checks and hoping, to, not really making an effort, just hoping that amateurism would stick around in the NCAA by paying a few congressmen. To, to try to hold it up. But now, I mean, the, the reality is with the SEC, you know, to bring it full circle, everybody get, gets the idea now that the SEC runs college sports. The NCAA has no control over it. That ended with the Autonomy 5.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the SEC is not content to be part of the Autonomy 5. It wants to be the Autonomy 1. They want to be bigger but, and bigger. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. It's, it's, unfortunately, that's nature. But it's, I'm sure that's a topic for another show. You know, the ACC, it's got to separate itself, just like uh, we saw in 1979, the 1A, 2A, or 1A, uh, yeah, 1A, 2A, switched into uh, now what we have, FBS, FCS, and we just kept, I, I hate to, to put it this way, but we kept diluting the pool, it's, and, you know, we got a lot of schools in this conference that have done a great job, because, like we talked about, what Temple could do if it had ACC money. We yep. see uh, UCF. Has been able to do with a little bit more money and it's just the problem is the sec is not happy with us continually bringing in uh utsas and uh old dominions and schools that are great look charlotte has done a great job but the sec does not want to share money with a school that didn't have a football program 10 years ago mm-hmm. you know it's just one of those things that they're trying to separate and i mean it all comes down to we just kept diluting that pool with school. And I know I, I've got a lot of friends uh, at Old Dominion, uh, but it just it's a reality that that's what's happened. And it's kind of created the situation that we're in now.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the college football games and unfortunately how they, they just had to get shut down. Uh, all because of the one UCLA basketball player decided he wanted. <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. He wanted to get paid for it. But um, I still play the uh, 2014, I think, was the last one. And there, there coincidentally is a group of guys who update the rosters and like you can download updated rosters for it, like to like eight year old video game. And they're still taking the time to, you know, make sure that the quarterback is right for, you know, all the big schools. So it's actually pretty funny that someone still is dedicated to that.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Shout out to the guys at Operation Sports. Those guys. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, they're doing guys with, I mean, they are so dedicated. I don't, I mean. If it wasn't for them, there's no way I'm gonna sit there and do all these rosters. They, yeah. they have members who sit there in those forums and God bless those guys. They they assign themselves teams, they do all the ratings and rankings. It's uh I, I wish I had that much time.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. That's I was like, they on the on the website it says like apply to be part of the team. I'm like, who has this much time to like go through all the rosters? Uh, all right. how much
1: does the pay? What are you talking about? Here? Yeah,
0: yeah, right. Yeah, maybe I do have some time. Uh, Austin, <laughs> um, awesome. we'll end it with this, um, how how has your summer been, aside from your vacation getting a little bit cut short, and uh, how has, you know, since I, it was probably about exactly a year ago I had you on, how has COVID, uh, you know, been, you know, different, the same, I don't know how it is up in, uh, you're in Cincinnati, you said, right? Yeah, it's, uh you know, it, it's been, I don't, I
1: don't know how to describe it, I just feel like it's been uh, 2019 for two years now. Forever. I, yeah, it's just the weirdest thing. I mean, the the regulations come and go around here, just like I'm sure they do everywhere else. Um, I'm one of those people where I just I, I feel like if you can wear a mask, I know it's inconvenient for some people, and they have mandates here and they have man, and they don't have them other places. Uh, I'm just one of those people where I, you know, I wear them because it, it can't, it doesn't hurt me to. And if all it's going to do is is risk helping somebody else then heck, man, put the mask on and risk it is my philosophy. Yeah. You know, But as far as the rest of the summer's gone, man, it's been, uh, it, it was really relaxing. The, the weather, I don't know uh, that I've ever experienced a summer like this in my adulthood, at least, where it was mild, a, extreme. And of course, I, I'm sure that has something to do with uh, uh, science and environmentalism and, and industry slowing down due to COVID. It's stuff way over in my head, but it's been a pleasant summer outside of those longhorns and sooners
0: yeah um, it's funny I feel like in philly summer it's been like 95 degrees' or thundering and lightning every day so I'm <laughs> it's uh, we're seeing climate change here I think but um, and uh, your your daughter who I, I it's a little soft spot for me as I work in the field how, how has she been doing uh, I remember last time you were telling me last uh, last time with school and everything how's she doing
1: Uh, She's great. And, uh, you know, for your listeners who might not know, she uh, is on the autism spectrum. And uh, if if anybody doesn't know, uh, I'm a proponent for autism awareness. I don't uh, necessarily uh, support or at least advertise any particular group. I just always, uh, you know, suggest to people, if they get an opportunity to check out or Google autism awareness, just to find out more about it, about the people that are affected by it and the families, of course. Uh, As for me personally, and with my daughter who has it, Uh, we had a great summer and you know this Sean we were talking about this before that um, you know people with autism or who are somewhere on the spectrum we're not necessarily talking about uh, the stereotypes that people might have in their mind Mm -hmm. Uh, there's you know people they need routine and I mean I need it myself sometimes and uh, you know for people with autism it's not so much a a matter of convenience or a matter of uh, well I just really prefer my things this way it's uh, sometimes in their mind, it's just in perception. It's hard to describe the human mind, but yeah. you know, perception is reality. And if you feel like uh, you were, you have to have this, or or else, you know, everything ends. That's the case sometimes with people uh, with autism, and when it comes to routines, they have to have that, or else, you know, it's end of day's situation. And thankfully, you know, she has experienced that, like many people do with autism. But the uh, the situation with COVID it alters everybody's schedules. You know, it's people who were going to work every day, sometimes they're remoting, sometimes they're not. And you got to be really fluid. And for somebody with autism, being fluid is not the easiest thing to do. But she has done an amazing job, which uh, to say the least has made my, my life easier. <laughs> uh, so with, with her, it's been, it's been great to, uh, to see her. And also some of the kids that, uh, that I work with that are friends of hers, they, you know, just blossoming as a result of this which it sounds weird i mean maybe it's like a pine cone in a uh, forest fire you know that, that's <laughs> what i mean but it, it's neat to see the uh the, the positive effects
0: that, that is awesome to hear that she's doing good and you know it's been tough on everybody and i you know i've i've had the same thoughts with some of my kids and you know we get in that routine and then you know it's uh it's tough to go virtual for a random week here and there and it has happened um, And uh, same thing. <clears throat> Most of my students have done really well through it. So I'm glad to hear that she is doing well through it. And uh, you as a parent are, uh, you know, making the most of it and able to uh, not completely go crazy because I know some parents have been.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, uh, and, you know, any of those parents out there, you know, never, never hesitate if you ever do get overwhelmed to, uh, you know, reach out to another group, reach out to, uh, to other parents because we all go through it and, you know, you got to be there for each other.
0: Well, uh, I I appreciate you, you know, just telling people, even just Google it, because some people uh, really don't uh, know everything. And it's uh, funny you mentioned the, you know, the stereotypical what people have thoughts on autism, because when I tell them sometimes that that's what I do. And they're like, oh, like, are your kids really good piano players? I'm like, no, it's not that kind like. (laughs) like, I don't know know why you thought that. (laughs) Um, Well, Austin, thank you so much for coming on. We talked about conference realignment, some temple and I always appreciate you Let me kind of ask you a little bit about your personal life as well. Uh, this was awesome. Thanks, Austin. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Oh, my pleasure, man. Uh, good luck to yourself this rest of the season, Sean, and of course, to the Temple Owls, man. Take care. Thank you. And as always, guys, I will be back.